accessing library computer data. Out there, there are no saints, just people. Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. We're continuing our run through Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Right now we're up to the episode called Body Parts. It's the 25th, the penultimate episode of the fourth season, aired on June 10th, 1996. Teleplay goes to Hans Beemler. Story credit goes to Louis P. DeSantis and Robert J. Bolivar, directed by Captain Sisko at this point, Avery Brooks. In this episode, when Quark learns that he's dying, he auctions his vacuum desiccated body to raise capital Meanwhile, a shuttle accident prompts Dr. Bashir to transfer Keiko's baby into Major Kira. We're joined by Clay. Clay, how are you? I'm good. You know, I was, I'm a little disappointed because when this started, when I first saw how, the way this was going, I got really excited because I thought this was going to be like a David Cronenberg movie, uh, given the name and the setup and everything. But then it just turned out to be like heartwarming. <laughs> Why is it called Body Parts? <clears throat> I don't know. I feel like it's a little bit... Uh, well, I mean, Quark is no, yeah, um, it's a bad title. <laughs> it's, it's a bad. It's it, it's a title that like vaguely connects to everything, but not really. Like it, va- like a baby, you could kind of refer to it as a body part, I suppose. It doesn't really line up with Quark or anything, but yeah, it's a um, it's not very Cronenbergy. It is heartwarming. You some might say melodramatic, but I guess we're gonna get into that as soon as we take a break. Uh, I'm gonna play an audio, audio clip. Me and Clay are gonna come back and we're gonna break down body parts. Quark, huh? I just received an odd message from a Dr. Orpax of Frankenar. He wanted me to tell you that he's very sorry, but you don't have Doric Syndrome. Does that make any sense to you? You don't have Doric Syndrome? Do you know what that means, Rob? It means you're gonna live! It means I get to sue Dr. Orpax for malpractice! Oh. And I'm gonna live. So this is a little tangential, Clay, but... Uh, the past couple episodes, I've been battling a cold, and I, I noticed one thing uh, from me recording with a cold is that in an effort to not cough on the mic, I don't really go off on tangents quite a bit, um, which is like, it's like I'm, I'm fighting against my cold and I don't want to cough, so I just try to get my point out as like quickly mm-hmm. as possible. So I feel liberated a little bit here. I'm probably going to start coughing like crazy, but... Um, I feel like I'm back in the swing of things where I can I can actually uh, I can actually enjoy the process of recording without having to take a sip of tea and drink a cough drop. Unfortunately, well, take it for a test drive, man. Ted, what what do you want to go off on a tangent on first? How do you feel about uh, go, I don't know dentists? Uh, dentists, I don't mind the dentist. I figure because I'm paying for the insurance, I should go. And my mm. my father is a person who hates the dentist, pays for insurance, and whenever whenever he goes, it's for like a catastrophic tooth contamination problem Mm -hmm. and um he always has to have like these major surgeries but i go every six months i haven't had a cavity in years uh feel pretty good about it i don't mind the dentist actually although i will say that um i i feel like the cleaning process is taking longer and longer the older i get Mm -hmm. i remember it used Mm -hmm. to be pretty quick like a 15 minute thing and now it's stretching upwards of like 40 minutes and that's too long yeah not a fan on Count, let's point and counterpoint on the Penske uh, podcast. So <laughs> let's um, let's talk about Body Parts, which has two distinct plot lines in it. Uh, it has a Ferengi episode plot line, and it has a 
heartwarming little house on the prairie type sci-fi drama on the other hand um featuring the o'briens and major major kira what do you want to talk about first which do you want to get out of the way before you get into the meat of this episode um let's talk about the kira the the o'brien thing first because it's it's i i was really disappointed by that storyline uh i'm gonna say that uh the producers like the storyline so much it's a part of every single episode the rest of the series just so you know interesting well (laughs) so the one thing i did want to say generally that I find interesting about this episode, and maybe I'm wrong, but this is where it kind of really stood out to me for the first time. This feels like the most purely serialized episode that they've done um, in a while, if not ever, in that it shakes up the status quo of two pretty, of not just two characters, but a bunch of characters, really. And by the end of the episode, they don't really turn it back to the way it was. Like, even when they serialized stuff previously, <clears throat> it's it's not... It's generally not gigantic life changes. Uh, it's just like the next chapter of a story, sort of. And this one, they're just they're shaking everything up. Like, it, like there's nothing involving the Dominion War that's going to result in Kira being pregnant. Right. Uh, that's a pretty big change. Um, and Quark, I kind of gets his bar back at the end, but even there, I'm not really sure how he can really work there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, he, he they have the "It's a Wonderful Life" ending, which is nice. But both of those things are fairly substantial shakeups to the way characters behave and characters act. <clears throat> um, but yeah, as far as the so it doesn't surprise me that they continue with the baby thing, and I'm, I'm glad that they do. But just I was uh, a little it was it was it was it's it's not much longer. It's until uh, Nana Visitor has her real baby that they'll get rid of this. So it's another couple episodes into the next season before they stop. Doing oh, is this. she is she actually pregnant here? Yeah, she's pregnant with oh. Doctor Bashir's child in real life. Ooh, scandalous. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's why. Um, that's why they. That's why. If there's one criticism, it's that that storyline kind of comes out of nowhere, and it's because she was starting to show at this point, and they had to make a decision whether or not they wanted to do the traditional, you shoot a woman from the neck up uh, in all of her scenes oh, to yeah, not yeah. show her as pregnant, or they, they thought <laughs> Kira that- Kira gets a new giant coat. <laughs> Iris Stephen Bear's wife uh, actually came up and suggested the idea that they should work the Keiko pregnancy, which had already been established, into it, and they tried to do a sci-fi twist on it. This is the end result. Um, well, I don't know if you knew this, but I think- uh, the actors who play <clears throat> Kira and Bashir actually dated for a while during the show. <laughs> they did more than date, Clay. They did. <laughs> they did more than date. We're making fun of a uh, a commenter who 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 thought that we could not possibly review this series without knowing every single uh, factoid about the personal lives of the actors involved. But thank will, you for explaining the joke. I will say that um, the <clears throat> excuse me the the problem here. The the problem with that storyline is that it it comes out of nowhere, and I feel like this is like the worst version of serialization that you can do. Like mm-hmm. the the there's really no conflict in this in that storyline right, right. whatsoever. It's it's really weird. It really feels like they just did it to get the pieces in place, and you know as um. There's, and I, I feel like there's a lot of ways you can go with it. Like the thing about Keiko being upset that she isn't caring for the baby, I think is a really true-to-life thing that they don't really do too much with. The fact that K- Kira just moves in at the end 
is like almost creepy cult like to me. Like the, that yeah, the uh, yeah. that Molly is calling her aunt Kira and stuff. Like that seems really bizarre. No one has a problem with it. Kira doesn't have a problem with being a um, ex soldier terrorist person who now has to become a mother role. Like there's no. She she seems to know a lot about how Bajoran ch- childbirth goes, even though she's, far as I know, has never even been with an earshot of that. No, no, never shown any mothering technique. But what's uh, uh, what's his face going to think about this? Who's that? Oh, ja- uh, Shakar, uh, her boyfriend there. Yeah, yeah Shakar. That was the other plot line they were considering. He knocks her up, and that would be uh, the other way to get it. They decided to go for this, but mostly I'm disappointed that. You know, DS9 is considered to be the most mature and adult of the Star Treks, and not once does O'Brien float the idea of, I believe it's pronounced menage a trois with these two. So <laughs> it's it's really a letdown on all levels. Well, what, what did you think about the overall quality of this storyline? And what um, I, I, I'm very interested in what you thought about it because I don't really like it. I think it's pretty clunky. Yeah, well, I it's it's funny. I, I uh, for a second when they were like Miles. Tell her what you suggested. I was like, oh boy, <laughs> I, I think I, I don't think I'm watching the right kind of Star Trek for for what I think is going to happen. He's like, here. Keiko, I, I I told you that in, in confidence. Yeah, um, uh, yeah, I think it's clunky, um, it, and it, it I find it disappointing because it comes out of nowhere and then it doesn't really amount to a story so much. It's just like, yeah, she's pregnant now, and now you know they got to kind of deal with it, like. The reason I said I was disappointed by it is you have a title called Body Parts and it starts starts off with, uh, you know, a magical baby switch. And my mind instantly goes to, okay, body horror. I'm really, I'm excited about this. This is going to get weird. Uh, it's going to get funky. Bashir um, is going to have to terminate the pregnancy with a shotgun by the end of it. <laughs> or, I mean, something like that, maybe. I don't know. Um, uh, maybe there's like a psychic mind battle and like one of, <laughs> one of their heads blows up. I don't know. Uh, but I, and it was none of that. And it was just like, I guess the concept is kind of interesting, but they didn't do anything with it Yeah, except yeah. make Keiko and O'Brien kind of like sad that someone else's care i don't know it was it just wasn't really i mean it was perfectly like normal but it wasn't really that interesting yes um and i so how did they do it in the first what did they use the transporter yes that's i believe that's what they did that he transported the baby out i think it's funny that they go to the lengths of explaining why they can't switch the baby back but they just kind of gloss over all of the other technical questions of how they did it the first time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, I'm pretty sure, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. I've never had a baby. I've, I've never worked in the field. Uh, I'm, I don't think you can just, like, take a baby out and put it in somebody else. Right? You can't do that, right? It, it's a little bit more complicated than that. Yeah, well, the first couple times we tried, it didn't work out too well. So I assume you can't do it as as a rule but especially into a different species which is an interesting twist that they do yeah like there's a lots of all of the things Bashir talks about on the other side where he's like yeah there's all sorts of like vascular connections and all this kind of stuff I'm pretty sure that happens on the human side too yeah with a natural birth yeah that you can't just go in there with like a melon baller and just scoop it out (laughs) you'd be surprised interdimensional transportation melon baller. You know what I like about that scene actually though is I like the way the actors play it where Bashir is being a very doctorly thing and Cisco is trying to trying to like 
cheer up O'Brien from what's happened. And he's trying to be like, doctor, everything's going to be okay, right? And he's like, well, yes, after... After, you know, I connect all the vascular things and blah, 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 and all this technical stuff. And Cisco is trying to trying to please O'Brien and make him a little bit happier. I know what you're saying. I, I know what you're saying, though. I think it's I think it's fairly interesting when you look at what they do here as far as like dramatic uh, suspension of disbelief goes, because I feel like you're willing to accept one unrealistic thing. But if they double if they followed that up with a second unrealistic thing, then you'd be like, no, this is stupid. Right. So like you're willing to accept, oh yeah, they used the transporter to transport the baby into Kira. But if they were to come back with some other unrealistic thing on the other side, you're like, no, this doesn't work. This doesn't make any sense. Yes. But since they come back with a realistic explanation of why they can't do it again, you're kind of like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Like it, it almost feels like it's wasting. It almost feels like it's wasting script time. To me, when they have to yeah. do stuff like that, when they have to think of like, well, why can't you switch it back? It feels like, well, this this is a satisfying ending, but I don't really feel <laughs> satisfied in terms of how this is going as a story. Because as I say, no one has any problem with what's going on here. I really thought that the for a script that's written by a man and this writing staff is entirely male, I thought that the concern, Keiko being concerned about not being able to be with her baby anymore was a very, very realistic thing. Like from a personal experience, that feels like that is like a home run hit of an, of a story idea and mm. they didn't really do anything with it. It's so easily resolved. And I was thinking that on a more serialized story, right? What happens here would have longer lasting impacts because the characters of Keiko and Kira would not feel like they just met each other. You know what I mean? Like right, if, right. if, if you have a really serialized story going on here, you can use this baby thing as sort of a, a twist on a relationship that those two had previously had. And you can build on this feeling that Keiko has over a couple episodes and have it like reflect into other things. And it can draw storylines into it here because of the nature of the show, the idea, while it's a story, well, it's a story that's serialized and it's going to continue for a little while feels so clunky and by the numbers that there's nothing tying this into the universe that's going on. And everyone's acting very weird. Like the O'Briens are very happy to have Keiko or not Keiko have Kira living with them and yeah. Kira just moves in for no reason. She lives like down the down the hallway. Why does she have to move in with them? And it, it's just all weird like that. Like in a, in a more serialized, more modern show, I think this storyline would actually be better suited for that kind of uh, storytelling where this is hindered a little bit by the still very episodic nature of the show. Yeah, I would agree. Um, <clears throat> they, they don't, they, yeah, they're, they're not really characters that have any connection to each other. And then once they get into this stuff it's not really uh keiko's hesitancy or 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 um not negative feelings but you know disappointment jealousy yeah jealousy yeah Yeah. her jealousy doesn't really amount to much and she gets over pretty quickly yes um which great i mean that's good for their relationship as people but uh (laughs) a great story maybe it doesn't make no, and you could even do the, you know, Miles O'Brien now has to treat a superior as kind of a wife, you know? Like, yeah. he he doesn't even really seem to care. So I had one question that's a little bit tangential to this. Is Chief O'Brien, Chief Miles O'Brien, a good character? Um, yeah, I, I don't think he's a particularly... Uh, <sighs> hmm, that's a good question. I mean, I don't think he's a bad character. I don't think he's particularly um 
he doesn't really stand out so much. <clears throat> but uh, as far as him, as far as what he does goes, I think he's fine. Do you think he's a bad character? I think that he is. It, it's weird because coming from TNG into this, I feel like he had a more defined personality on TNG in some mm-hmm. ways. Like he was more of the, he was a do-gooder, but he was kind of like the nuts and bolts, like regular guy do-gooder. And here they've kind of turned him grumpy and a little bit like castrated and and not even in just like in relationship to his wife, but he like, he has no agency in a lot of his stories. Like he's just kind Mm. of, he just kind of floats along and is doing things for other people. And I don't, I don't really even, the grumpiness is fine because I think the grumpiness plays off Bashir's optimism well. So when they're paired together, it makes a lot of sense, but yeah, here it doesn't, he, he doesn't feel like he ever settles or is ever like of his own path or like has any, anything that he wants to do is a reasonable decision that he wants to make. You know, it always either feels childish or it feels like he's just being guided along by his wife or he's doing other things for other people. I don't know. I've just been, the, the more we see of him, the less impressed I am by, especially in terms of the other characters on the show, he feels less well drawn than a lot of the others do. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think he does. <clears throat> a lot of a lot of the stuff he does is uh he's actually surprisingly whiny uh when you think about it yes yeah. like you're saying he he is kind of childish a lot of the ways he reacts to stuff is kind of like no you know um well i can't go to the holodeck mom yeah you know, that kind of reaction <laughs> yeah i have to deal with my stupid kids today <laughs> Begora. my one one and a half kids yeah i know yeah, yeah. He, you know, he is it, he's uh, very He's very petulant in a lot of ways, and it's kind of a weird character trait for someone who the show always puts in these heroic. A lot of his other episodes are very heroic, like when he goes through the imprisonment and stuff like that. It's 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 an odd combination. Yeah, I, I guess he's. Yeah, I would say he's probably surprisingly less well drawn than the rest of them. And I, you know, this maybe this is a good jumping off point to talk about the rest of the story. Yeah, but. I think part of that might be because he doesn't really fit the same characterization as everybody else on the show. Um, Because as we've talked about previously many times, everybody on Deep Space Nine more or less is some sort of an outcast or an outsider. Um, And O'Brien really isn't that. He's just a guy, you know? I mean, he doesn't really have any backstory that would... Yeah. Yeah. That would, you know, yeah, he doesn't have any demons from his past uh, unless you count the Union uprising of his great great grandfather or whatever. <laughs> um, so he's kind of he's kind of a, a, an empty vessel as far as storylines go. So it's nice that they can they found a use for him with Bashir and stuff. But yeah, generally he's not like if you put everybody all everybody in the, in a room together, right? Um, I feel like he is the least interesting person in that room. Yes. Yeah. He has he has the least going on in his backstory that you can draw from. So the storylines tend to just gravitate towards him suffering or him doing sort of odd things like this. But it is weird. And you <clears throat> you bring it up because the Quark storyline is basically his version for Quark uh, of the Wharf storyline, which yeah. is how you are trying to fit in with a culture that um, is alien to you and you want to go home, but your home culture has rejected you more than this adopted culture has. And mm-hmm. the outsider thing is really 
it's really coming into form about how like all of these characters are outsiders on DS9. DS9 is like a purgatory for normal people, basically. Like yeah. you, you go there and you sort of learn how to get along and how to fix yourself. And I think the quirk stuff, the quirk stuff works. I won't say this is a bad Ferengi episode. It's hamstrung by all the problems that all Ferengi episodes have to me, um, which is that Ferengi culture is too farcical for me to take seriously. And yeah. <laughs> when they, <clears throat> I was trying to, like, I was trying to really pin this down. Ferengi culture in this show feels farcical. And as a result, like they're, they're sort of like the way that they treat what they want, which is business and commerce and all that stuff. It does not resonate with anyone as a viewer because no one, even like the most like strident capitalist is not talking like a Ferengi. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, yeah. but the the stuff like Klingon vengeance and Klingon honor and Cardassian sort of uh, guile and Cardassian like big brother nature, that really resonates with like existence as a human. So you can tie yourself into those stories and feel like they mean something. Ferengi episodes always kind of have to be a joke because their culture is a joke so when they try to do something serious with it, they kind of have to do this like overly saccharine ending, which I actually like the ending, but it is a very saccharine, mm-hmm. like we're all friends together. Yeah, you know, I, I, I agree. But at the same time, I like this. This is one of the more um, enjoyable Ferengi episodes for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought the stuff, I, I, I really liked how, well, first of all, it's clear, I think that... Uh, Avery Brooks put all of his directing muscle, at least his actor directing muscle into this stuff, because it feels like Quark is cha- is channeling Avery Brooks in some of these scenes uh, <laughs> with how, how over the top he's, he's going with his emotions and stuff. But, a, a lot of, um, a lot of backstage footage of, of Avery just saying more, more, go bigger, yeah, go bigger. Yes. Yes. Um, <clears throat> and obviously, uh, you know, Jeffrey Combs is always, always going to be a plus in any, yep. anything. Brunt is Brunt um, is a good returning character, the uh, the Ferengi FCA agent. I don't know if you've noticed this, but a nice touch they do for the Ferengi is the better they are at being uh, Ferengi in terms of being businessmen, the bigger their mm-hmm. ears are. Have you noticed oh, that? I, have, I didn't notice that, no. So Brunt being the sort of non-businessman bureaucrat IRS agent has very tiny ears. And oh. the original Ferengi who wrote the rules has the biggest ears out of all of them. I think it's a nice <laughs> touch, yeah. Yeah. No, that's pretty good. I like that. Um, but I like that they kind of, they, they, they finally verbalized all of the things, excuse me, sorry. They finally verbalized all of the, uh, times that Quark has gone against his Ferengi nature and sort of like made him face up to the fact that he is not as hardcore as he thinks he is. Mm -hmm. Um, which by uh which then obviously means that he has become an outcast to his own people and that it, he has to kind of reconcile the very similar to I it's I feel like it's a little bit different than Worf because like I still think I think that Quark in the back of his mind thinks that nothing is wrong. I think at least maybe maybe not anymore, but I think up until this point, I don't think Quark, I, Quark always has a rationalization as to why he's doing things. Right. And he, he will, uh, he thinks that anytime he walks into a bar and for in Frenginar, uh, he's going to be greeted with open arms. He doesn't realize that he's an outcast. Um, yes. So yes, having I'd, this, I'd agree with that. having this episode actually 
bring it to the forefront and be like, no, you're as much of an outcast as anybody else is. You just don't want to admit it. I like that. Um, and I, I think it's, uh, I think you can do that with Quark and not really have it change the way he acts with anybody because he's mm. still going to do that stuff, but he's going to be very begrudging about it. He's never going to admit that he's doing it because he likes you, that kind of thing. The Yeah, what's what's interesting is that the previous episodes that did this about Quark kind of always staged it as um, <clears throat> he was doing it. The, the out that he took, which was the non-Ferengi out, was what's best for everybody. And it mm. wasn't... It wasn't really about him sort of rejecting Ferengi culture. It was more like he needed to do this to keep everything on the level with everything. Like he needed things to go back to the status quo. So we always adopted these non-Ferengi outcomes. And whether that's like when he gave the union uh, vacation time and all that stuff, like <laughs> that, that's what I mean by the Ferengi cultures. Like their storylines are so silly. But the the um, I love Ferengi do- heaven, by the way. Yeah, Ferengi. I love the the description of it where he's where he's talking about the uh, the the great the great treasury and the register registrar accepting his bribe to get in. Yep. I love that stuff. That's it reminds, it makes I, me think very much of the uh, Ducktales, the vault. That's kind of what <laughs> kind of what it reminds me of. They just swim around in money. I also like that when you get to Ferengi Heaven, they have like giant what looks like remember the, remember in Spaceballs the giant statue of yogurt. Yep. Yep. It looks like the head from that statue. <laughs> <laughs> and Quark's um Quark accepts in this episode that he's kind of the outcast and the whole reason Brunt is so antagonistic towards him is because Brunt has that scene where he explains that you disgust me because of all these uh things that you've turned your back on the Ferengi way like you give vacation time and all that stuff um right. so the whole reason he's being antagonistic towards him is because he views Quark as kind of an outsider who is not living up to the Ferengi culture and I think it's I agree it's not exactly the same as Worf. It's it's similar enough to the point where it, it now feels almost super obvious that the show is commenting on how much of an outsider everyone is, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and maybe that's kind of a little bit of a negative towards it, but maybe not. It's Quark gets his moment to shine and he gets his moment to have this sort of realization. But I, I like the episode. Um, what I do like about the episode is I think that it's, they're getting better at making the Ferengi comedy work. And I think my favorite joke in this episode is when, when Bashir comes in and tells Quark that he's not going to die. And then, and then Rom's like, uh, do you know what this means? And Quark says, it means I get to sue the doctor yeah. for malpractice, <laughs> yes. which is, I think that's a really actually a very good joke and it fits the character, but they're, they're moving away from sort of broad, dumb comedy and at least grounding it a little bit in what a Ferengi would actually think and do. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. Um, yeah, it is. It is so weird though, because it's like you can't. <laughs> you you you're listening. Well, you're listening to to Quark tell a fairly have a fairly serious scene, but it can't be serious because everything that he's saying is some sort of money pun. Yeah, and then on top of that, you've got Rom over there with his you know stupid you know David Duchovny face, uh, talking <laughs> talking like a like a cartoon dog. <laughs> It's very yeah. it's very difficult to take it seriously. But it, I mean, I think it's nice because <clears throat> when they do get serious, I feel like it works somehow that much better because I, I feel like Rom in particular is surprisingly uh, well used. You seem, he's you so seem goofy to like and he's, you seem to like Rom quite a bit. You've you've commented before on like you like the relationship and you like Rom. I do because I with him, he's so uh, doofy. Looking and you know the stuff he says is is fairly fairly goofy, but 
when they dial him in, it feels that much more endearing because he is actually being serious and he's not being kind of a dumbass. And it's a good, it's a good foil to, uh, uh, to quarks, um, seriousness for lack of a better term. His his quarks sort of the cynic and his brother's the optimist too. Yeah. They pair each other off. Yeah. And, and I feel like, I feel like the difference between them is Rom kind of knows he's ridiculous, but Quark does not know he's ridiculous. Yes. Yep. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. I think that they, I think they pair each other. I think the, um, when the, the, I think his name is Max Grodenchek, when he gets to play the older Ferengi, I think he, it shows that he's, I, I don't know, when I, when I see him playing Rom, I'm always like, is this guy a good actor or not? Or is like, mm-hmm. is he just good at playing this goofy? But he actually plays that other Ferengi very differently. And, um, I, I was impressed by that. I thought it was a good example of like giving that actor something else to do. And it's, it's not the actors limiting himself to that role. It's like the role was clearly, they were calling for this level of goofiness out of Rom. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, um, the other, uh, Jeffrey Combs, we should always, is, is always excellent. He seems to be on every other episode now at this point, but he returns as brunt, which is good. Um, I love the Garrick and quirk scenes in this. Um, yeah. One of the patrons has a comment. I'm going to spoil it now, but he would have liked the second half of the episode just to be Garrick trying to kill Quark in like Wiley Coyote type ways for the that rest of the episode. That would be a much more interesting episode than watching uh, Kira and Keiko discuss like you know <laughs> changing lower diapers. back pillows. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know Brian's face during that whole thing. He's, well, Brian's disgusted face is just is very funny. But yeah, I, I go ahead. I was just going to say, we'll say. I, I I really like that stuff, but the, it's kind of unresolved, isn't it? Do they have a? Is there a point where? I can't remember. Is there a point where he tells Garrick he doesn't want to be killed anymore? No, I assume they just drop it, and he doesn't. Yeah. doesn't go through with that. See, I, I don't think I, Garrick would have done that anyway. What I thought they were going to do is, I thought when he was having the dream when Brunt was strangling him, I thought he was going to wake up and Garrick was going to be on top of him strangling him, and he was going to be like, "No, no, stop it, stop it, stop," you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was um. That was an interesting way to wrap it up because there were a lot of ways to view that. I, I wonder if that's intentional or if it's just kind of a um, everything coming together for the writer where, you know, you're not sure if he's actually died. You know, I thought it was a holodeck experience. Like Ron was tricking him into oh, yeah. They yeah. beamed him into a holodeck and we're going to set him up to think this way. That's why he was playing the old Nagus. Um, but no, they didn't do that. It's just It was just a dream. And then as you were saying, yeah, I kind of expected the strangling to be Rom or like shaking him or something, trying to wake him up was what I thought, not Garrick. Yeah, yeah. Also, man, watching all the different ways that you can be murdered in the holodeck is really fucking dark. Yep. Doesn't like hanging, doesn't like neck snapping. I thought they did a good that's another good thing of um that's another good example of the writer coming up with satisfying reasons for why he wouldn't want to have any of those things done to him. They even came up with a good one for poison, which is quirk is like, well, if I know the food is poisoned, I'm never gonna eat anything, so I yeah. just won't do it. Yeah. It's a lot of ways to kill yourself in the holodeck. Um, let's see, is there anything else? I don't. I don't really think so. Is there? We talked about the baby. We talked about all that. We talked about the transplant. Uh, no, I don't think so. Did you have anything else you wanted to talk about, or are we done with this one? Um. Yeah, I th- uh, you, unrelated to the episode, sort of. Well, first of all, the 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 one thing about the baby thing I didn't mention was that. Um. I th- knowing knowing that uh, uh, Nana Visitor was actually pregnant at the time makes that make more sense because the first thing I thought was like, why would you pick Kira for this? Mm-hmm. Kira is the is the least 
is, is the person that would make the least amount of sense to do this to, but that would be good if they were going to tell a story with that instead of her just be like, yeah, I'm pregnant now. It's great. Right. You you could do it if you were going to really focus on <clears throat> Kira's reaction to it, but the show is not concerned with Kira's reaction to anything that's going yeah, on. Yeah. I was thinking like, man, just give the baby to Dax. Give her something to do. Yeah. Um, Dax has had kids before too. Oh, so, really? I didn't know that. Well, it's one of uh, the previous hosts would have had, had kids. Oh, right, right, right. But that kind of segues me into, uh, um, did you watch that clip from the the Deep Space Nine documentary where they were talking to Terry Farrell? Yeah, she she really came across well in that. Yeah, and I found it uh, really enlightening um, when she's like, I was doing the best that I could because <laughs> I didn't know what my character was supposed to be because every time they talked to me about it, they told me something different. And I was like, so that for, makes a lot of sense. <laughs> so for people who don't know, I, I posted a link on the uh, the Discord chat where it was just a clip from the doc, DS9 documentary that's coming out. And they were, um, Iris Stephen Bear was interviewing Terry Farrell about what he thought, uh, what she thought about the role. And she was, she was kind of, um, she was a little bit, it sounded like she comes across as being a little bit disappointed that she was too young that A, the producers were confused in what they wanted her to be, mm-hmm. and B, she was too young to really represent the wisdom that the character is supposed to represent. Like, she doesn't, she didn't know when she was 27 filming this how to convey what the character needed to get conveyed. So um, I thought it was a very, it was a nice, like, a very honest interview. I thought it was, I thought it was uh, pleasant to watch and listen to. Yeah, it was, uh, I, um, I liked her, uh, or I was interested by her um, going into how she didn't feel like she had enough life experience to play that character. Yeah. Um, And it's, I I mean, I guess you could kind of take that or leave that because like, well, I mean, if you're a good actor, you're a good actor. But but yeah, it's uh, being that kind of self-aware that it's not quite working. And not really knowing how to fix it is 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 fascinating. Yeah. Um yeah. and and being like self aware but not like bitter about it. Uh because obviously, I mean, she was on the show forever, so she it was fine. Yep. But um <clears throat> yeah, I'm I'm I'll be interested to see the rest of that documentary. Yeah, the um <clears throat> the only other only other thing I wanted to talk about is when we do our uh, season wrap-up podcast, I want to talk about this more, but you had brought it up as the serialized nature of um, Keiko and the O'Briens. How, at this point, how does the serialization feel for you across the show? I'll get more, I'll get more into this, so I won't really give you my thoughts about this until the, the next episode that we, not the, the two episodes for now, but what are, you, what are your thoughts about this Um as you've seen the entire season so far to like how they're handling everything. I've asked you this before. I'm just curious if anything's changing. Um, I think they're doing a pretty good job with it. Um, <clears throat> sorry. Um, I think they're, they're still straddling the line between serialized and episodic. And I think they're handling it pretty well. Um, I, uh, <clears throat> cause even, you- even the ones that aren't, really super serialized they can still drop things in here or there to to make it not feel completely out of place um but yeah i think they're doing a good job okay yeah we'll we'll end it there so do you think that the w- would you say the o'brien storyline is uh w- what's your what's the do you have a problem with the o'brien storyline here or do you think that the serialized nature of the o'brien storyline is it even fair to judge it because of the situation that set up that storyline 
um, or you know what I mean? Or is it is it a misfire on the serialized storytelling of the show the way that they handle this, or is it something outside of that that is to blame for what I consider to be a fairly bad story going on into this? Um, I would have to wait and see what they end up doing with it because uh, okay. I feel like it still has all the potential there to do something interesting. Um, in spite of the way that they set it up. God, excuse me. Well, see, that's the, so that's, what's interesting to me because I think if I'm, if I'm judging the show and what I think the serialization is, the show is still largely episodic more than it is serial. So Mm -hmm. the storyline that they've inserted here doesn't work for the way that the storytelling works on the show because they don't do anything with it immediately. Like to make it a, to make it a Star Trek episode at this point in time, you kind of need something in there. Like that's the conflict yeah. I was. You need one little bit of something to really go on. If this was a more serialized show, I would say it still is kind of a crappy way to write it in. Even though I think that they should be able to do things with it down the line because of how out of nowhere it, it feels very artificial to the whole thing of how it's brought in. And maybe that's the pregnancy talking, but it's like the I don't know. I I, I feel it's it's in this weird nether zone between episodic and serialized storytelling and it doesn't really satisfy either one at least in this episode it's not particularly there's nothing interesting about it it's just moving a chess piece from here to there yeah it is it is very i mean it's 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 a fairly big change that they just sort of like drop it it's like it's it's not unlike if she just showed up next week pregnant right like there's yeah. there's no yeah there's not a lot behind the story driving it forward it does just feel like well this is happening now don't really pay attention to it Yep. Um, yep. So if they don't do anything else interesting with it, that's a bummer. That's that's disappointing. But uh, um, yeah, I mean, having not having not seen where they go yet, I think I would I would hold my judgment until I see where what they do or what they don't do with it. But yeah, I I would agree that it is a it is a serialized element that doesn't feel like it's it's really there's any kind of you know oomph to it or love behind this the story it just it seems yeah, like a necessity yeah, yeah that's a, that's a good way to to put it um all right so we'll take a break um i will say just before we go to break that it it reminds me of in my opinion the sitcom friends jumps the shark when the characters switch apartments that's like a big so anytime a character on a show switches apartments is, is what i consider to be a jumping the shark type moment i don't There's, think ds9 falls through into that but uh friends certainly did there's a similar episode of The Simpsons that I felt like was the the hard hard drawn line where The Simpsons started to get bad, where um, <clears throat> I think it's in season ten, I think, uh, where they're dumping so much garbage or something underneath Springfield that Springfield starts to implode on itself, mm-hmm. and so they at the end of the episode they pull up stakes and move the entire town like three miles east or something like yes. that so yep. they they just move all the buildings everything else and they just move it and obviously it's the simpsons it, you're not supposed to take it seriously but i i i took that as like eh, this is not a very good story <laughs> and like from that point on it's just like consistently worse <clears throat> we're gonna take a break we're gonna play an audio clip we're gonna come back read some patron thoughts give our final thoughts about body parts one step at a time We're almost there. Prepare for docking. Thrusters back to half. Yes. 
Nice landing, Captain. Let me know when you want to get underway again. Okay. So, <clears throat> excuse me. If you start that over again. Okay. So Should we can, can we, we do a can we do a <laughs> podcast that's just coughing for thirty minutes? I, I think I think we're well on our way here at this point. So we <laughs> We'd a- we'd ask for Wes. Uh, I would I would just like to say. <laughs> we'd How ask do you for, respond? We'd ask for ratings and reviews, and no one would be able to do it because they'd be coughing too much to be able to click the little <laughs> thumbs up button on the iTunes. There'd just be a lot of people coughing. All right, so we we uh, we read patron thoughts. You support the show on Patreon.com, which is a wonderful thing to do and much appreciated. We read the thoughts that you have about upcoming episodes, starting with Holly McLaughlin. Body Parts, this is the best Quirk episode, in my opinion. He's beautifully himself, struggling between what he believes is right and what he really wants. Garrick's failure to come up with an acceptable assisted suicide plot could have been cliched, but it works well. The dream sequence is hilarious, and the ending is sweet and touching without being saccharine. Moving on to Stephen Cobbs' Body Parts, more proof that having two non-human Quirk and Garrick characters interact is really interesting to see. Zam Nuclear Wessel says, I always forget how good this one is. On latest viewing, I think Quark's delivery of as a Ferengi is an imitation of how Gowron says things like Klingon and for your house, maybe even in a character one since they've met, maybe even an in-character one since they've met. And the list of unacceptable ways to die sounded like a reference to Dorothy Parker's eight-line poem, Resume, which he has a link to the poem. Uh, then he says, there are several ways that could have complicated- This is a TV show podcast, not a books <laughs> podcast, Okay. <laughs> <clears throat> Get Take your that shit to the library, man. That's right. Take that couplet and shove it up your ass. There are a couple, several ways they could have complicated the plot about this by getting into Brunt arranging the false diagnosis or the dream being a hollow sweet plot by Rom to keep Quark alive. That was my idea. Yeah, that's right. And then, uh, or difficulties calling off Garrick or Kira thinking the O'Briens are trying to proposition her, but they probably made the right call keeping it all simple. In my head canon, however, all of these things happened. That is a good point uh, he makes, Clay. There's, there's a lot of different outcomes you could have gone in. There's a lot of different directions you could have gone in this episode, and they chose a very straight-ahead one, but um, there was a lot of potential for ways that they wanted to go. So he has a headcanon where the O'Briens and Kira get freaky with each other? Uh, yes. Is that Kira thinks that the, It was your joke. Kira thinks that the O'Briens are trying to proposition her instead of asking her to move in. Ah, I see. Menage. <laughs> so... Have you ever heard the Isaac Hayes song "Menage Trois? It's pretty awesome. No, he has. He has <laughs> I've been um, I've been putting random. I found this channel. I put up uh, on the Discord. I put the link to. It was Godsmack and um, Spando Ballet. Oh, uh, I, yeah, mashup. I listened to that. That was. It was surprisingly good, but it also made me reminded me how much I hate Godsmack. There was one. I think his best one. If people want to look it up, it's. Uh, Look up Marvin Gaye heard it through the grapevine and rats round and round. Ooh, I have it, heard that one. That is very good. That that one's like perfect. It it fits perfectly. It's it's really amazing. I'll put a link. I'll try to in the video description. Uh, Keith Orr says, "Howdy, longtime listener, first time commenter. I'm watching my way through Trek for the first time, and I saw a Ferengi on TNG. I thought I'd hate them, but come DS9, Quark has become one of my top five characters. I'm guess I'm wondering how their world works. How can the Liquidator from their homeworld come and take all of Quark's things? Surely their laws are not really applicable on a space station near Bajor. I would think Odo or Sisko would have something to say with it. Also, everyone comes in the end bits and pieces for Quark. Surely he wouldn't he wouldn't need to restock since he could just use the replicator. And speaking of the replicator." Didn't his one-time rival use replicators to make new gambling machines? Why can't he just replicate? That's a good question. Um, what, what, what is the power? 
did I just miss it? What is the power that Brunt has over Quark where he can stop him from having a bar? Is it just all Ferengi needs to operate under the Ferengi Commerce Authority? I guess that's the point of it. I guess, yeah. He's got one of those stickers on the ready that he can put Yes. Sticker stays up on the door, too, which is a nice touch. Yeah. Um, Oh, like for the rest of the show, you mean? uh, They resolve it, but for the episodes until until they resolve it. Yeah. Um, how does he how does he operate if he can't like I, I did notice that the 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 uh, uh, the terms of the deal were very Ferengi based. Yes. So he can I feel like the loophole there is he can still serve everybody who he usually serves because he's the only Ferengi on the ship on the place. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> um, Brunt didn't really think that one through. I don't think yeah, if that's his, yeah. his punishment for him. Uh, Matthew Ross says, body parts, knowing what we now know, did they actually have a story or were the writers just trying to help the affair and pregnancy of Siddig and Visitor who weren't divorced yet? The beaming over of the baby from Kiko to Kira, it was so ridiculous even when I saw it originally that I knew as well as the rest of the planet that knew that she was pregnant. It's barely a B-plot. I still think it had more to do with the affair than Star Trek. Anyway, going to the age story, the real question was where was that lawsuit against the doctor or a complaint to have Brunt be on char- brought up on charges? Rom is predictably sweet in the double duty as the first Nagus was mild interest, mildly interesting. Although I do like Liquidator Brunt, this was such a nothing episode that I don't think Combs added anything to it. Anyway, yes, yes, Quirk, you have friends. We all love you. No, really, let's cliche the ending so we can all come together to support our local crime boss. Oddly, in the next episode, he seems to be wearing the same gaudy outfits as before, and the bar is running. But it's running with a sticker on the door. Running with a sticker on the door. Um, what was the point here? Uh, I th- I would disagree. I would disagree. Jeffrey Combs adds something to every episode that he's in. He yeah. takes these he takes these silly characters and turns them into memorable uh, things. Here, his whole his whole scene with explaining when he makes his appearance to Quark. I love the scene between him and Armin Shimmerman are just kind of playing off of each other and just the the delight that Combs is playing uh, as this character who's twisting the knife and Quark is uh, delightful in my opinion. Yeah, he's great. I wish he was in everything. I was thinking about that. He's uh, as I was watching it is he's one of those actors where it's like he pops up and stuff from time to time, but he's never had aside from reanimator. He's never had something that was just like his thing, his own. Yeah. But I mean, I guess that's the 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 plight of the character actor, you know? Yes. Yep. Who, he's a who's that? Oh, it's oh, it's that guy. Actors, as they're called. Kyle and Barrett. He's, he's not. Sorry. He's he's not. I feel like he's not brought into things as much anymore as he used to be mm-hmm. and like the people i feel like when he was in let's put it this way i don't think he's had like a nostalgic renaissance the way a lot of other people have um because he was yeah. working a lot obviously through the 90s and stuff and you know people know him from star trek people know him from reanimator uh if you've never seen peter jackson's the frighteners i highly recommend it because he's fucking amazing in that movie um but he's he kind of hasn't I, I haven't seen him be that like, oh shit, this is the guy we got for our our, you know, throwback character that we uh we that would be like the Bruce Campbell uh Yeah. Yeah. You know, role or something like that. Yeah, that's true. I wonder what the last thing he was. Uh I'll look it up afterwards. I'll let you talk and I'll look it up. He was Body doing pro- uh um a couple of years ago, he was doing a one man stage play where he played uh Edgar Allan Poe. Okay, and it was directed by Gordon Stewart, Stuart Gordon, Gordon Stuart Gordon, the guy who directed Reanimator. Um, and apparently, it's apparently it was fantastic, and it came through Boston. It was actually at the Somerville Theater, and I didn't manage to get to go see it. I would have loved to see it, but I guess through the play, 
he gets progressively drunker. Okay. Uh, and it's just like a, a meditation on Poe's life and stuff. I really wish I could have seen it. Looks like he does a lot of voice work recently. Yeah. A lot of video games, a lot of animated stuff. Um, I am shocked that he has not been on like one of those CW shows, the DC he was shows. On or, he was on Gotham. Oh, he was on. Okay, perfect. Yeah. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Like that seems, I, I it, it blows my mind that he hasn't been on one of those shows and apparently he has. So. His Gotham role is just called office manager in two episodes though. So uh, not maybe great. not that, okay. yeah, maybe not that big of a role, but he has been on it. I think uh, about that because I'm I'm currently I'm watching the newest season of Legends of Tomorrow, which uh, is is way better than it should be. Um, and their uh, nostalgic cast member this year is Tom Tom Wilson, who played Biff in Back to the Future. Yes, and he's he's great. He's awesome. So his one of his most recent things he's in the Lego DC Supervillains video game. He voices the Scarecrow. Ooh, interesting. Good choice. Um. So Kyle Barrett is the last comment. Uh, body parts. The Quark storyline is some good morbid fun, although all the Ferengi scenes seem to go on for a little too long. The Garrick scenes are amazing, although I wish that the second half of the episode kept showing Garrick try and kill Quark in elaborate wily e. Coyote type ways that always fail. I enjoyed the It's a Wonderful Life ending, and luckily it's without the boring previous two hours of the film. Hot take. Hashtag hot take. The baby storyline is fine for a novel way to write visitors' pregnancy into the show, but the focus was misplaced. This is Kira the freedom fighter, the soldier, the terrorist. She never thought she would settle down. She never thought she was going to have a kid. And then suddenly she's facing a couple of months of pregnancy with a child that is not even hers and moving in with a new family. It's fascinating to explore, but sadly they focus purely on the O'Briens. Uh, also, Wes, if one of the audio clips in the podcast can be O'Brien saying, prepare for docking, followed by Keiko sighing loudly, that would be great. Absolutely, Kyle. <laughs> I'll do that for you. Um, I, I will I, say I agree. If Kira's going to have a kid, it should be like, she should be in a Jeep on the Mexico border <laughs> with a German shepherd driving off into the sunset as the storm comes in, like at the end of Terminator. Smoke, yeah, smoking a cigar as she's pregnant, not, not, not giving a fuck whatsoever. Yeah, I would I would say they don't even focus on the O'Briens. It's just like there's a lack of focus on anything. Uh, they just are kind of, everyone's just kind of there. It is After a certain point, I actually kind of forgot that the storyline was actually happening. Like they... It happens, and then they duck back into the Ferengi stuff for so long. When they came back, I was like, oh, right. I forgot about this. <coughs> yes, 100%. Um, let's see. That's it. Those are all the comments. Thank you, patrons. Thank you for leaving your thoughts about that one. There's a lot of uh, thoughts about that one, actually. That's a, uh, a popular episode, it seems. We have one more. So get your comments in for Broken Link, which is the season finale. Uh, Clay. What are you going to give this one? Or I can go first. I'll, I'll go first because I always ask you to go first. I'm going to give this one a solid three, which seems to mm-hmm. be the stamp of approval for the Ferengi. Um, I am like Brunt, the liquidator. I come in with my sticker. It says three on it, and I stick it on the door of every Ferengi episode. Um, the O'Brien stuff is terrible. <laughs> um, the Ferengi stuff is pretty good, but nothing enough. Nothing that would really cause me to either recommend this or uh, this would be... One of those episodes, if I'm thinking about the season and I wanted to do a curated list, I would skip this episode. I would say you don't need to watch this one at all. So all in all, that ends up being a three for me. Yeah, I would agree. Solid three. Um, I think this one is is rewarding if you've been watching the show consistently up to this point, because uh, if you haven't, it feels kind of like, well, it's it's a little I think it's a little too melodramatic for for uh, a first timer or uh, someone who hasn't been following quark up to this point um yeah but you know for what it is i i enjoy it i think it's pretty good i like 
I like what they do with Quark, and it'll be interesting to see what they do moving forward. All right. So, excuse me, we got one episode left, the season finale. It's called Broken Link. We'll be getting to that soon. If you guys want to support the show, you can follow the social media links. as Facebook, Twitter. It's all the generic junk that everyone has. You can also go to the Discord where we do a lot of the chit-chats about the shows. We People yell at me for not liking Star Trek books. They give me recommendations. I buy Star Trek books. I read 10 pages, and I say never again. Um, you know why? We, what's that? Because this is a television podcast, Wes. It's not a book <laughs> podcast. <laughs> I'm starting my Star Trek book club. You guys are all invited. Uh, I'll bring a lot of hard alcohol just so that we can get through these horrible books. Um, that's about it. The discord patreon.com slash the Penske file. If you want to support the show, it's much appreciated. It's the best way to support the show is patreon.com slash the Penske file. You get a bunch of perks. You, we did TNG trivia the other day, uh, played that with a bunch of patrons that went really well. We did the tombstone, uh, episode. We've got a whole bunch of given, excuse me. God damn it. We've got, we did unforgiven. We've got about 36 podcasts that are available. If you sign up to become a patron, all that, for your listening pleasure and keep your uh, ears open for the the uh the cough the cough the cough <laughs> with wes and clay <laughs> i think we should do we should do another one that's a follow-up that's just like um the beginnings of point making yeah. so it's like we just trade off being like well the thing about this part is well let me back up for a second i think i think when you when you get to when you get to this when you okay when you get to this point in the show but I before I get to there, I think we should talk about one thing first. Like, I think it should be forty minutes of that. We should, yeah. I would I would call that podcast audio blue balls. Like you, <laughs> you start a topic and you just like you, you you never finish a point about anything. You just like an incredibly was, uh, frustrating thing. I have to say that's not entirely an original joke because uh, I uh, Fred Armisen used to do a character on SNL uh, okay. <laughs> where he was he was a, a, a observational comedian who would um, pull jokes from the headlines and he would read the headline and it would be like, uh, you know, Congress sending out $2,000 of aid or $2 million of aid for X, Y, and Z and be like, the th- okay, the thing about this is, well, okay, but before we get to that, like that was, that was the, and it was, oh my God, it was the funniest thing I've ever seen in my life. Check out Patreon, support the show there. It's much appreciated. I think that's it. Clay, do you have anything you want to say? Uh, Poser Poser 4 should be coming out pretty soon I think Um, Night Moves is on the shelves if you want to pick that up too Um, and Bat-Ass Podcast for all your Batman the Animated Series needs I think Sean and I are actually going to be recording Mask of the Phantasm I want to say next weekend so uh, if you want we're going to do Mask of the Phantasm but we're going to do some some questions if, if anybody gives a shit so if you have any questions that you would like us to uh, answer, you can uh, send them to batasspodcast at gmail.com, B-A-T-T-A-S-S podcast at gmail.com. And uh, if we don't get any questions, we'll probably just make them up. So Yes. Yeah. That's the best way forward. Um, I think that's it. We got one episode of season four DS9 left. It's called Broken Link. I've said it three times. I'll say it again. One more, then we'll do our wrap up and then we're on to season five after that. So thank you guys very much for listening. Thank you for supporting the show. It's much appreciated. Um, I don't think I have anything else that I want to say. I feel like there was something. I don't think I have anything though. Only right. two more months, Wes. To what? Till Discovery comes back. Oh, that's right. How do I feel? We have one, we have two more shorts. We've got a short coming in December too and then January and then we get back to Discovery. So yeah, 
that'll be that'll be something. Mm. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I was going to say something about Discovery, but I, I we'll save that for another podcast. We've gone long enough. Clay, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Guys, thank you very much for listening. It's much appreciated. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Hope you're enjoying the show. We'll be back in a couple of days. See ya.